Hello and welcome to Touchline from myself, Kasper Els, and Mark Cameron. Hello, Mark. Hi, Kas. Nice being in studio. More so chatting with a very astute coach that's from the Sharks tonight. So looking forward to tonight's episode. Yes, tonight we welcome Mr. Sean Everett, head coach of the Sharks. Hello, Sean. Hi, Kasper. How's it, Mark? Nice to have you. Welcome, yeah. Um, Sean, your CV is quite impressive. I see you've you've gone through the ranks from junior junior rugby right through to to super rugby now. I think the only one you're missing here now is the green and gold on the on your CV. Very impressive. Thank you, Casper. Um, you know my CV is happened through circumstance. Um, it wasn't a career path that I had planned for myself. But just due to staying in the game, I think it's panned out um, by accident more than anything else. And obviously a passion for rugby at all levels. And I believe a lot of hard work, if I look at all your, your accolades through the Moor Cup with Rovers, um, national levels, um, some very good wins on, uh, um, at junior level, under 20s and under 21s, and then working your way through the provincial ranks. Yes, Kasper. Um, it actually started when when I was a teacher. Um, you know, being a teacher, coaching sport was compulsory, and I was playing rugby at that time. Um, so I really enjoyed the coaching aspect of it. Um, I coached under-11s and under-13 players when I was teaching. Um, and then my rugby career came to an end, and as, as per normal, as you guys would know, as club coaches, um, there's not many of them around that are going to give up their time. Yes. And... Um, under 20 coaching job became available at Rovers and you know I grabbed the opportunity um, stuck around for a while and um, then gave it up and started playing again <laughs> and when my body couldn't handle it anymore um, coaching was the way forward and that's and that's pretty much how the, how the journey started and and um, you know I was given a challenging task of taking over a Rovers team that was really successful um, and had gone through a bit of change at that time. A lot of players had moved on as they do at club level. You know, when they reach a certain age, um, they retire. And then I was left with a responsibility with, with Graham McKenzie of building the club up again. So it was a massive challenge, but a huge rewarding one for myself. And you guys done well, very well. Yeah, we did. Um, you know, we built from the bottom up. Similarly to what we're doing at the Sharks with certain of our, our players that we have. Um, yeah, so that brought long-term success. So we stuck with the, with the juniors. We recruited well at under 20 level and then took those players right through to 2007 from 2000. So, yeah, it's quite a nice story. Um, you know, managed to win the double, I think, on four occasions at club level. And then because we were doing well, obviously, services and, the, and my service to rugby was recognized by the NRU. What is what is the one thing that keeps you coming back that motivates you to keep going at coaching? I think I think for me it's um, being being having a teaching background. It's about getting a reward from the developmental of, of individuals. Um, you know, and there's nothing better than than watching a player come in at a young age and see him become a Springbok or, or represent the Sharks. And do well at the shots with that curry cup or super rugby level. I think that's what what drives me, and that's the reward that I get for the work that we put in. Um, but also see, to see um, 
young guys develop as adults and responsible adults and, and develop into good people. Because good people, as I've always said, become good rugby players. So I think it's more the, the impact that you have on people's lives as a whole, rather than just from rugby. Um, that is something that, that, that is really motivating and rewarding for me, as I said earlier. I, I tend to agree with you there. If you look at, you know, a lot of people just think that a coach is a coach and that's all we do. But um, we spoke a few um, weeks ago to another coach and uh, we spoke about the same thing and we spoke about, you know, as a coach, you're not only there as a coach, a rugby coach, but you're there as a mentor, you're there as a father and a mother, sometimes a girlfriend, um, and you need to do your, you need to do your thing. So um, it's, it's important and, and, I'm, and I'm glad you're mentioning it for our listeners for the simple reason that a lot of people think that coaching is just a matter of pitching, more so if you look at yourselves in the professional setup where everyone is professional. They don't realize how much work actually goes on behind the scene to make sure that these youngsters fulfill their dreams. Um, if I can just have a look and, and chat a bit about some players that, that, that I was involved with that uh, are with you now, for argument's sake, where you brought them in from under-20s, well, under-19, really, at that stage when you were still coaching them, um, through to the Curry Cup and then through to, to Super Rugby. You know, if you look at the Sonele Noambas and the Dylan Richardsons and the JJs and all those, and it speaks volumes of what you are saying because you identified them at a young age and I think, yeah, what is also important is the fact that you, from a coaching point of view, showed belief in them. And obviously the return is, is massive. And hence the fact that these youngsters are now coming through and stepping up to a big plate where they need to perform for the next few years as senior rugby's at the Sharks. Yes, Mark. Um, I think, you know, one mustn't forget that the development of a coach starts at club rugby. Um, and like you said, you know, you become everything to a rugby player. Um, you know, you've got to change your car, you've got to buy a bucky, you've got to fetch players from training, take them home at night. So, <laughs> Three words. You know, that, that's a, it's, a, it's the caring aspect of, of individuals and, and, and the motivation of, of changing people's lives. Um, but yes, you know, you mentioned quite a few things there and, and you're 100% right. Um, you know, the under-19s that came through, like Sanele Pepsi, who've all played super rugby now, they were with me in 2018. Um, and they've grown up into young adults, and they all will be 22 this year. So it's really rewarding watching them step up to the plate. I think what's great about it is that, you know, that those processes didn't just happen, and they just didn't happen overnight. So, they, you know, they had a trust that there was trust us, the Sharks, and myself as a coach, that there was a path forward for them at our franchise. And um, as long as they delivered hard work and, and, and a good work ethic, and, and displayed ability that, you know, that they would make it to the top. Because it's not every rugby player makes it. Um, you know, there's, there's guys that work harder than others. There's guys that are talented that, that fall by the wayside because rugby's not, you know, everything that, that every, the, the dream was meant to be. So some guys change their course, and that's fine. Um, you know, not everyone wants to wake up in the morning and train as hard as professional rugby players do. And that's a choice that you make, just like when you're choosing an occupation when you leave school. Um, so, yes, it is very rewarding to watch those guys come through. I mean, you know, there, there are some guys that, you know, came through the academy that, that ended up playing at the Sharks. And if you, if you saw young guys like Takia Abrams, you know, he didn't come to the Sharks on a massive contract. Mm -hmm. um, there was... Um, 
put a Chamberlain who came from Paul Boys High without representing his province at Cravenwick at senior level. You know, he had a really good Curry Cup campaign in 2019. So, yeah, there, there's other stories rather than just the guys that have that shone at school. There are, there are some guys that, that came through that same group the same way without not necessarily having achieved high levels at school. Sorry, guys, I just want to ask this question then. Um, you, you spoke about the academy and so forth. Um, in, in, a, in a case like that, at the Sharks specifically, we run quite a successful academy as well that's obviously a feeder to yourself other than some of the other contracted players. So how, how would one identify players to come to the Sharks academy specifically? How do players that leave school get involved in the academy? Obviously, because if you look at the Sharks Academy where it's based, it's right there by you guys at the Union. So they get to to not only um, study and, and train and things like that at the Union itself, but they get to bump heads with, with the contracted players and, the, and, and top-class coaches like yourself. So um, the feeder system is very important. And who would we want to come to the academy at the end of the day to feed you guys? School's a good measure of, of whether you can, you know, succeed in rugby or not. Um, you don't necessarily have to play at the top level. Guys like Butch James, you know, who won a World Cup medal back in 2007, was was a was a guy that never played Cravenwick at school. In fact, he spent most of his matric year in, his, in the second team. Mm. You know, it's about following your dream and following your passion. And and the secret of becoming a professional rugby player is first you've got to have ability, um, and secondly. And when I say ability, not, not ability at the age of 18 to be a springbok in two years' time, you know, ability as a rugby player that you've got a base to work from to become a professional rugby. And secondly, um, you've got to have belief and willpower to, to, to achieve and fulfill your dreams and your goals. So that's really important. And the, and the academy offers that opportunity to players that never were fortunate enough to be contracted straight out of matric. Um, into a professional setup, it certainly gives them an opportunity to to grow as rugby players. But most importantly, for me, is that it gives them an opportunity to be able to study for life after rugby, or for life in three years' time after you've joined the academy. If your rugby career doesn't work out for you, or if it's a career that you decide that you don't want to pursue. So it gives you the best of both worlds. You know, you can come out of the academy with a degree, but at the same time, because you've been in the game for a period of time, um, you know, you're only going to become better with experience. Um, I think what's different at the Sharks is that we don't contract a massive amount of boys out of school. Um, yes, we do contract and try and get the best that, that we can to service our needs and service in, in certain positions later on. But um, therefore, the academy guys, there might be guys that attend the academy that, that might not think they're going to make the Sharks on a 19 side or under 20 side, but they end up do doing that. And because of that, you know, they de develop further. Um, you know, if you don't get a senior contract at the Sharks, there's always um, the possibility of, of joining a university. And if you can play Varsity Cup from the age of 20 to the age of 24, and you play that, that standard of rugby for four years, I think your professional career is well on path um, when you complete your university days. So yes, the academy does serve a massive purpose to the Sharks and, and, and hopefully to the individuals.
Sean, what is it like coaching at, at the level you are at now, Curry Cup and, and Super Rugby? And especially now in the challenging times that we are in, um, is, it, is it a lot more difficult now to, to, to get to that level and play at that level? Or um, would you say it's, it's easier to, to maintain it due to uh, not having spectators? Yeah, it's been really challenging. Um, you know, it's my first year of, of being head coach of Super Rugby, and uh, I must tell you, I don't think anyone prepares you for what we had to go through. That's for sure. <laughs> it's um, not in I the think manual. It was good for me. Um, you know, you've, you've got to you've got to you've got to take the positives out of it. Um, it was a learning experience for everything, and I think the biggest thing for us is that is that we weren't able to plan for the future because we didn't know what it held for us. So you can't worry about or control or try and control what you can't control. I think that was a big thing for us. Uh, we learned to adapt day to day to the situations that were dealt to us. Um, and you know, COVID is one of those things that you, you can try your best to try and avoid getting infected. Um, and that's not always possible as we found out. You know, and a lot of people have lost their lives although they had been as careful as possible. So, you know, I think the stresses of of being in competition with COVID testing and the pandemic was tough um, because you'd only find out on a Tuesday night who was available, who wasn't available for Wednesday morning for clarity. Um, sometimes you'd take the whole of Wednesday to analyze who had been in contact with who at training um, and then only settle down with a, with a squad, you know, at the latest Wednesday afternoon if you're playing on Saturday. So, Yes, it was challenging, but at the same time, it also afforded everyone in our squad an opportunity um, to to represent the Sharks and also to display their talent and show us what they, you know, what what, what ability they have as rugby players and whether they have the potential to um, continue playing with us at a senior level. So that was really good for the individuals. Um, although we were rotating the squad, I think we were forced to rotate more. Than, than most of the other teams um, due to the COVID, which, which certainly assisted us in, in, in having confidence in those players because the more they played, the better they got. So I think the Sharks as a whole, you know, through this COVID experience, although it was unfortunate, um, it did teach us a lot of things and I think it's left us in good stead. So would you would you then say, obviously, and I'm assuming it is, that the, the players, because obviously you had to put in extra uh, disciplinary things and people had to make sure they follow the protocols and so forth. But do you think it gelled you a little bit more as a, as a team where it wouldn't have done so, let's say, two years ago? Yeah, very much so, Mark. In a, in a way, it was probably a little bit detrimental to us. You know, the guys are really good friends with one another, which means that they spend a lot of time with, with, with each other. And with that becomes a risk because if one guy gets it and you've had lunch with five of them, you lose six players. Um, so, so that happened at times. Um, yeah, I think what, what, what we try to do with the players is try to get them understand the severity of the pandemic and, you know, try and get them to continue, although the, the lockdown restrictions had been eased. You know, we try to keep the guys mindful of being in lockdown five where we didn't want them to go out, socialise, go into public places. Obviously, you know, you still have to do your day-to-day -day shopping and, and, and emergency um, doing so, yeah, it's not always possible, but the, the players certainly realised, you know, when the second wave hit that this is serious, it's, at some stage we had 13 or 14 guys out. And I think what a lot of people don't understand is that 
you're not out for, even though you might be asymptomatic, you're not out for just the 10 days. You know, there's a return to play protocol. And sometimes a player could be out from between 21 and 28 days, yeah. you know. Um, a guy like Henko Fenter was out for nearly a month with COVID because he only got his symptoms in day eight of isolation, which means right. you have to isolate for a further seven days right. post your last symptom, and then there's a return to play. So, you know, I think when the players saw these guys sitting out for a for a, a for a lengthy period of time, I think you know that at some time that hang on, you know, we need to we need to adhere to protocols. Yeah. So now, did you deal with that? in your squad system? I mean, under normal circumstances, dealing with a squad and having to rotate your players and dealing with injury and, and your standard or normal illnesses, um, you have quite a substantial squad. But now you add COVID to it. How big was your squad that you dealt with now through, throughout the series? Yeah, so we, every, every union or franchise has a, a limit of 45 players. Um, fortunately, in our 45, we had a number of junior players which didn't count as senior players, but they were still part of our 45. So we had about 34 senior rugby players, and the balance of them were age group players. Um, what it did do is, you know, it showed the faith that we had in the group that we were able to put a competitive team together, and, 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 and also the, the strength of our recruitment is that we were able to put a competitive team together every Saturday, even qualify for the Curry Cup final. So, um, yes, it did put strain on us. Um, fortunately, you know, we were able to bring in a couple of players would put their hand up like Timbalani Bali and, and Yao Pinkwe because we were short in certain positions. Um, and with COVID, obviously, we were exposed there. But these guys came in and they've done exceptionally well. Sure. And so well that, you know, they now have long-term contracts yeah, at the Sharks, which is, which is great for them and, and outstanding for us. So, yeah, there's a, there were a lot of positives that came out, came out of this. Um, and then at the same time, you know, it just shows that, you know, the Sharks have got good depth to be able to play the type of rugby that they did with 14 or 15 guys out. So credit to the players and the way they adjusted and how they prepared themselves. It may be an unfair question to you now, um, but I think you, you will be able to answer. Um, you being involved in club rugby and, and coming through the club system, what will your involvement be with club rugby going forward as the head coach of the Sharks? Yeah, unfortunately, since I've been there, there hasn't been any club rugby. So I don't think it will ever change. You know, ever since I've been at the Sharks, and that's 12 years now, you know, I've, I've been involved in club rugby and, and really close and supportive of, of club rugby. I, I enjoy going to the clubs on the weekends and seeing what, what talent is available. Um, I'm always there to assist and help the coaches when they need when they need a bit of assistance. Sometimes I go to clubs and visit, you know, Thursday nights or whatever, and I get a few tips from them as well. So, you know, just because I'm the provincial coach, it doesn't mean that I know everything about rugby because people have different opinions, different ideas, and it's good that we share them regardless of what level they play at. Um, club rugby, as I, as I said, you know, is, is, is very close to my heart. It's Without club rugby, I don't believe that the professional setup will be as successful as it, as it is. I don't believe that players will continue to play rugby once their provincial age groups um, or they, they, they're finished with their provincial age group rugby and are unable to, to get a, a, a senior contract. So 
it's a massive stepping stone for us. Um, we've had club players come through the system at the Sharks over the last couple of years. Um, and that's besides Varsity Cup. And I'm talking about players like Zima Cabela came through and played really well for the Sharks at Scrum Off. And so did Cullen Colopy, who came through from Rovers to play, play hooker for the Sharks. So, yeah, there, there's some really good stories. Um, and once again, you know, the older you are, the more character you have or the more character you have built. Um, and the better decisions that you make. And, and you also obviously um, grow with emotional maturity. And who says that you can't be a Sharks rugby player at the age of 26 as long as you're staying in the game? Um, you know, because the squads are, are, are small at 45 now, um, we need players to service all competitions. And if there's ever a Super Sport Challenge again, and a Curry Cup, and a Pro 16, you know, maybe a squad of 45 is not going to be big enough. Because you've got to understand that there's S under 20 competitions in the middle, you know, in the middle of the year. There's also um, the, the, mid, the mid-year Springbok tours and the end of the year Springbok tours. And rugby is going to continue to move on. Um, and I think the rugby load with senior provincial players is just going to get more and more, which will create opportunities for young guys to come through at, at club level. So, Sean, if I can ask this question, obviously we're touching on club rugby at the moment. Um, and I think it's, I think it's countrywide where... The, the, I won't say I won't say there's not an emphasis on under twenty rugby, but it's actually quite a struggle at under twenty rugby club rugby specifically. Um, but for the players and the listeners out there that are listening now that have aspirations to play for the Sharks or maybe another franchise, um, obviously it's important for them to keep going. So I always tell our players that yes, you might not be in the in the mix for the Sharks or they might not know you, but. When you play Premier Rugby, for argument's sake, you play against the best club players that there are. And people like yourself, as you earlier uh, alluded to, go and watch these games. Does that then mean that when you watch a game like that, and I'm the coach, for argument's sake, you would come to me after the game and say, gosh, who's that player? And obviously start asking questions and then looking at them possibly to fill a role within the Shark setup in the near future, possibly, for just to get these guys going, because otherwise, what do they play for? Yeah, 100%. We're always looking for players that, you know, that, that can represent the Sharks. You know, my job is to get the best possible team on the field. And if we can find one or two club rugby players a year or, or over two years or maybe hopefully even more, you know, it's a massive benefit benefit to us. Not from a numbers point of view, but, you know, from a from a financial point of view. But at the same time, you know, players that that have stayed in the system and, and shown grit and determination of players that, that we're looking for. And because they've stayed in the club system and playing well, they obviously have a good work ethic. Right. And, and because they're local boys, I mean, that's even more important. It means they're passionate about the Sharks. So yeah. there's a massive spin-off for us bringing players through the club system. Um, and at the same time, you know, if we can get a handful of them, you know, into the Sharks squad, it's huge motivation for the people out there. And then your numbers problem that you have at under 20 level, you know, might disappear. I think our biggest challenge, as you mentioned about under 20 rugby is, is the number of players that we lose outside of the province to universities. Um, you know, obviously going overseas is, is a challenge for us as well. A lot of youngsters with, um, that might have um, foreign passports are able to go and pursue their studies and, and and get work overseas, but uh, as you know, you know there's a massive attraction to bigger universities like Pucker, 
um, Marty's UCT University of Western Cape. Um, you know, many years ago, you wouldn't find English people, English speaking people going to Tuckies in Pretoria. You know, mm -hmm. now suddenly we're using Durban, I know, is losing quite a lot of their, yeah. their matriculants to, to Tuckies. So, yeah, that is a massive challenge for us. Um, so, Varsity College, as we know, is, is, is a place that, that has that takes their rugby seriously and they do offer bursary. Um, but it doesn't afford the young kid who wants a university student life, you know, Correct. it doesn't afford them those opportunities. You know, you know, Stellenbosch is, and UCT are massive attractions because of, of the social life that they have. And, yeah. and students have every right. I mean, when I was a student, it was the four best years of my life. Um, so, <laughs> you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. <laughs> but um, obviously we would like to keep those those players, yeah, but it is going to be a challenge for us going forward. Um, UKZN is a good university. Donald and Gwenya is director of, of, of rugby there, and you guys had him on your show earlier. Um, you know, he's doing a good job there, and, and you know, he's, he's obtained bursaries for a lot of the children that are, or pupils, matriculate pupils that are going to university, and I think he's doing a good job, and that's definitely the way forward for us, but I think the last 15 months without rugby at club and university level is you know, it has hurt us a little bit, and we need to recover from that. That's a fact. And Sean, if you don't mind, if I if I can touch on the the Curry Cup final a little bit, um, just with regards to preparation, you know, there was a lot of talk, uh, a lot of hype going into the into the final. You know, depending on which side of the fence you sit, some people say we had a bad game, some say we don't. Um, some blame some of the players, which I think it's unfair, and we'll we'll speak about that a little bit earlier. Um, but just from a coaching point of view, if you, obviously, which you guys do, analyse the game and that, is there something in that specific game that, from a game plan point of view, um, that you might have changed or had a look at something different to do? Because personally, I believe uh, we, we could have won that game. Um, I think, obviously, on the spur of the moment, a decision is made or whatever the case might be is that that could possibly have cost us. But, I mean, one doesn't want to go to a specific uh, um decision, let's say from a captain or whatever the case, because it's a collective effort at the end of the day. But from a coach's point of view, how would you have a look at that and then maybe give positive or negative feedback to, to the players, knowing that we stood a very good chance of, of winning that final? Yeah, I think, you know, we prepared really well for that game. It was a similar plan that we had in place against Western Province. You know, both teams... Um, Province and the Bulls, you know, were very similar in, in how they play. Um, you know, the, the Bulls have got a really good mall inside of Western Province, and we were able to keep Province out for 13 of those malls. Um, and I thought we did really well to stick to our plan. And against the Bulls as well, we had we had a good plan. It wasn't the plan that cost us a game at all. You know, when we our plan was to kick behind them. You know, people said we kicked a hell of a lot in that game. We didn't kick as many as... As, as many times as they did, funny enough. Um, so that was a perception, and we didn't kick as, as many times as the average of the Six Nations teams. So, you know, when, you, when, it, when, it, when you're playing against a team that's got, you know, 14 or 13 players in the front line from a defensive point of view, you know, you're going to be running into a brick wall, and we know that Marco Fons and Wayne are hard on the ball. So we felt that our strength was in our kicking game because... It does work for us, and we get a lot of good return from our contestable kicks. And we also felt that the weakness was in the young back three. And, 
when I talk about the young back three, I'm talking about David, David, um, Krill, yeah. and Stravino uh, Jacob. So, you know, it made sense for us to play there. And I think that the plan did work for us, yes. Um, perhaps we could have converted more points in, in, in that game. Um, but I suppose the, the turning point in the game was probably, you know, in the, I would probably in the minutes of the second half. Uh, I don't think it was fault of anyone. Um, I think maybe the line-out that we kicked to the corner in the 74th minute, you know, I chatted to Lucanio about it afterwards because we always review a final. A lot of people don't. They just say, right, let's close the book and go to bed. But we've got to learn yeah, from that. Agreed. Um, you know, his, his um, reason for going to the touchline in the 74th minute was that the penalty was on the five-meter line. Um, we had position on the field. Um, you know, the Bulls weren't going to score from five or ten meters out. And if we could pin them in their 22 by going for the touchline and not having to receive a kickoff again, if Kerwin had a kicked it over, you know, it might have been better for us with an opportunity of scoring a try. Because if we score a try in the 74th or 75th, 76th minute, you know, it was game over from that point of view. Um, so his, his thinking was sound. Unfortunately, from, from that line out, we got blown for a balk. Um, but yeah, I think the line out call itself you know, going for a four-man trick play at that time of the game wasn't the right call. Mm. Um, but we've made mistakes, and we could have recovered from that. Um, we had opportunities um, later on in the game between the 77th minute and the 80th minute to be able to put that game to bed. And, yeah, we just we just failed in, in, in small aspects of the um, going back to the break after 20 minutes, you know, in the wrong areas of the field yeah. and we conceded those two long-range penalties for Mornay to kick over. So that's exactly what we didn't want to do. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about the plan, those areas for specific think actually helped us to go back into the changing room, regroup, you know, emphasize the plan once again. And when we came out, we actually came, you know, the stronger, the yes. stronger team. Yes, I thought the guys did exceptionally well yeah. in, in extra time mm -hmm. um, to keep the game scoreless, but you know, I don't think many people know this. But if if the Bulls never scored a scored the winning try at the end, they would have won the final anyway Correct. because they yes. were on top of the yes. log. Yes. So you know, a draw was never going to be good enough for us. So yes. at the score, and this goes back to the, what I was talking about, the line out kicking to touch or going to poles. Um, that you know, if at the score 22-19, you know, if they had have got a penalty like they did in the death, 22 all wasn't enough for us. Even going forward, so it, it Johnny, wasn't so, a win. Yeah, no, 100%. That, so, that would get us home. And so I just wonder, while we while we add that, and I agree, um, you know, I'm not I'm not a coach, obviously, at your level, but I also thought that the the decision that Lucanio made in the 74th or so minute to go to the corner might have been a might have been a wrong decision, um, but. I mean, it's always easy to, to judge sitting outside. You need to be on there. You need to make the decisions. You need to take all that pressure into account. But I think maybe part of that could have been Kerwin um, maybe being off target with, with his kicking boot, possibly. I don't know now. But the reason why I'm bringing this up is, is not, to, not to put effort, emphasis on him. Um, but just for the listeners out there, you know, I think he's been he's been getting so much negative criticism unnecessarily, I think, because we're so used to him 
attacking the line and he's, he's you know, kicking out of hand and kicking at poles is normally so good. Obviously, you can't always perform at that level week in and week out, but from a spectator point of view, obviously spectators want things like that to happen and when you're in the final, they expect it to happen, but things like that, things like that happen. Um, so from a coaching point of view, I understand how it works and, and you know, you need to, to work with these youngsters. But just on, on your level, because uh, for, the, for the listeners now, um, you know, at your level, it's professional players and, and the people say they're professional, they have to deal with it, which is obviously not always like that. So how would you, from a coaching point of view, you know, speak to a, a youngster like that and motivate him? Because you could see after the game, he was gutted and obviously he took it upon himself, which is partly the right thing to do because that's why he's in that position. But, I mean, you know, a lot of players then, if I look at club level, might not want to play rugby anymore because they take it personal. But you need that youngster to continue playing because he's an exceptional player. I agree with you. I don't think Kerwin had a bad performance. You know, when you talk about performance, you talk about all aspects of the game. Right. I think he was just off target with his kicking, you know, and... You know, one thing that we mustn't forget is that the week before that, he won us the game. And then he was you a know, no one expected, <laughs> you know, No one expected us to be in the final. Um, no one gave us a hope of hell of Correct. beating Western Province in Cape Town because it was their last game at Newland. And no one gave us a chance for beating the Bulls, and I, you know, except ourselves. Um, in the week building up to that game, I can honestly tell you, even at the captain's practice on Friday, I've never seen Kerwin kick as well as he has. Mm. You know, it, he was kicking it over the upright of the poles as, as a target, and, and he was kicking it over the upright. Um, he was kicking it low over the crossbar, high over the crossbar, and he was kicking it deep into the stands. He kicked one from 65 metres. So, you know, golfers don't always have, have good days. Um, I certainly don't have them at all. But, um, you know, so to blame the performance on one particular, individual is, is really difficult. Um, you know, we haven't even brought up kicking. I was talking about the line-out decision. We we're talking about maybe losing those couple of line-outs, you know, in extra time. Those are little things that I said that, you know, that mistakes that, that cost us. And you, a, a lot of little things together um, will play a part, part in, a, in a defeat in a, in, in a final. So it's not just Kerwin, you know. Um, Kerwin has been outstanding for us this year. Uh, without any senior leadership around him. You know, last year Super Rugby had Louis inside him, Andre on the outside. Mm -hmm. um, this is his first campaign, and we've only completed one campaign since the beginning of 2020. Mm -hmm. But it was his first campaign, you know, leading the attack, leading the, the plan on the field. So I thought he had done exceptionally well. You know, and, mm -hmm. and one mustn't forget that he won us the game against Griquas and Kimberley in the 83rd Correct. minute with a 40-45-meter kick. So the fact that people say that he has BMT is not true. Um, if he didn't have BMT, he wouldn't be playing in a Curry Cup final. 100%. I can tell you that. Well, part of that, he wouldn't be a Springbok. So, no, 100%. So, so he's, we all know that he, what, what he's capable of. Um, the fact that he missed kicks doesn't bother me at all because you're never going to kick all of them in a game. Yeah, um, you know, if you go to the Curry Cup final alone, Mornay Stone missed a sitter. Mornay right. Stone missed a sitter to draw the game. He had Kings yeah. Park. And he's a guy that's 36 years old, right. played over 50 tests for South Africa. So, so you know, at the end of the day, Kerwin's got to learn that, you know, this experience is going to happen again in his career. He's only right. just turned 23. Right. Um, he's not going to kick 90% in every game that he plays going mm -hmm. forward. And we obviously hope that he does. Yeah. But... At, it's, it's not going to be possible. So, you know, it's one of those things that happen in rugby. You know, I remember 
when I was just a little boy watching Lars Boerter miss pretty much everything in a test match. You know, you can go and Google it. I can't remember which one it was. But, um, you know, he didn't, and that's the best kicker in the world at the time. So it happens to everyone. Um, But I think what's frustrating for me is that, you know, on social media, and I'm not a big follower on social media, but I hear it from my children and and my wife, that, (laughs) you know, he gets attacked, he gets attacked personally by people. And, you know, you can criticize his rugby, but don't, I don't don't see it's a platform where you attack anyone personally, Mm. and I don't believe that should happen to any individual in the world. Mm. Let alone, you know, a, a rugby player that that's represented his country. Um, so I think the criticism was unfair to him. Um, yes, he is going to get better as a rugby player. Obviously, you're not the perfect player at the age of 22. You know, Pat Lambie had played a, quite a few tests for South Africa by that by that stage. You know, and was by far means a perfect rugby player. And and he wasn't the number f- or the first choice in a, in a Springbok jersey at that age either. So. You know, Kerwin's going to get better, and, and he knows what he's capable of, and he's just got to know that, you know, that the coaching staff and his fellow teammates back him 100%, and that's definitely the case. Uh, thanks, Sean, for that. And just in closing, you know, I also think that, that people forget that majority of his kicks are all long-range kicks. I mean, they're not close to the poles or whatever, so accuracy becomes a massive part there. Um, they also forget, as you mentioned, that he's only 22, 23 um, and he's been in the system for quite a long time. So he's still a, he's still a youngster. He's still a young guy whose who's rugby is basically only taking off now. So, um, you know, and I agree with you, the personal attacks on social media, that's why I asked the question, um, because I think it's unfair for, for any sports person or anyone in the, in, in the world to be attacked like that on a personal platform, you know. So, um, but just in closing, I just want to say to you guys all the best for the Nations Cup and the Pro 16 and where you guys are going. Um, I know we got rugby starting at the end of the month again, so obviously you got you got the support from from our studio and and Touchline people, yeah. Um, and we wish the Sharks well, and more so when we go and play in the Pro 16. Um, I read on social media today that um, they are talking the Bulls and the Sharks up in the Pro 16 because of the way we we've been playing. And I know some of the coaches in in the franchise are specifically started doing the kicking game to play in the northern hemisphere so just from my side um obviously our paths will cross again so uh, thanks for firstly accepting our, our invite to the studio and chat with us but to you and the sharks and and all the players all the best and regardless of whether we won the final or not we still immensely proud of you guys and may it keep going for a long time Jordan, thank you very thank much you, Mark. thank you Thank you, Kasper. Um, Mark, and just to you guys there, I know you guys are involved in a Manzum Toti rugby club, and it, sometimes it seems like a, a really thankless task, but without you guys doing the job that you are, you know, I wouldn't be where I am, and none of the players would either. So thank you for your contribution to the game. Thank, thank you very for much for that. on the show. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Just on that, I just want to say I did listen to when you spoke about uh, coming down to club rugby and helping and whatever, so I'll be pushing on your button one of these days. <laughs> I didn't say I'm going to the club to help. <laughs> Sean, thank, Sean, thank you very much. And just no, know no, that the Moms and Toti Rugby Club are behind you guys huh? all the way. No, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Have a good evening. You too. Thanks, thank Sean. You. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. Bye bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. Cheers.